Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a passion, or even a passing interest in maritime history, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about when I mention the name Molly Brown. Molly, whose real name was Margaret, famously survived the sinking of the RMS Titanic, going on to be a very public and heroic face of the disaster. The ship was one of three sister ships known as the Olympic-class ocean liners, and they were owned by the White Star Line. Molly Brown was an American socialite, who, like many first-class passengers, joined the ship in France, which was the last stop before heading to New York City. After the Titanic struck an iceberg on the night of April 14, 1912, Molly was safely evacuated in lifeboat number 6. She agreed to leave only after assisting everyone she could. Even then, she insisted that the lifeboat return to the ship to rescue more passengers. She did this while using an oar to try and save those who were facing certain death in the freezing water. Despite her efforts, she was shouted down by the officer in charge of the lifeboat. He was concerned passengers in the lifeboat would be placed in considerable risk by others desperately attempting to escape, or that they would be pulled underwater as the enormous ship disappeared into the icy depths. Molly Brown was reportedly so angry at the officer's lack of compassion that she threatened to throw him overboard herself. But it was no use, and to her outrage, the officer in charge would not change his mind. Her courage and outspokenness during and after the sinking, as well as her ongoing charity work and involvement in the suffrage movement, eventually earned her the nickname The Unsinkable Molly Brown. But there was someone else who famously survived not just the sinking of the Titanic, but other maritime disasters involving the Olympic and Britannic. Someone else who went on to become known as Miss Unsinkable. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. In the late 19th century, William and Catherine Jessup emigrated from Dublin, Ireland to sunny South America. The family settled in Argentina, and William took up work as a sheep farmer. The oldest of their six children, Violet, was born in October 1887, and at a young age was diagnosed with tuberculosis. The prognosis was grim. But to her doctor's surprise, Violet eventually made a full recovery in no small part because of her strength and determination. In 1903, tragedy struck the family when William Jessup passed away following complications during surgery. Violet, who was 15 years old at the time, was devastated. Her mother packed up the home and moved the family to England. 
Now a widow without a source of income, Catherine Jessup took a job as a stewardess with the Royal Mail Line, a popular cruise operator. The job was out at sea, so Violet, who was still attending school at the time, helped take care of her youngest sibling. Misfortune seemed to follow the family because a few years later, Catherine became unwell and could no longer work. Violet stepped in, hoping to become a stewardess like her mother in order to help support the family. Unfortunately for Violet, or maybe it was fortunate, she didn't exactly fit the mold of a typical stewardess of the day. Being only 21, her youth and good looks made potential employers concerned she might be too much of a distraction for passengers, as well as for the crew. Undeterred, she solved the problem by dressing down and appearing as plain as possible. Before long, she landed a job on the high seas, aboard the SS Orinoco, which was owned and operated by the Royal Mail Line. A few years later, Violet's career took a step up when she accepted a position aboard the luxury ocean liner RMS Olympic. Run by the White Star Line, the Olympic was the largest passenger vessel of its time. It was also one of three sister ships constructed by the renowned shipbuilders Harland and Wolfe, located in Belfast, Ireland. Sister ships are generally similar in design, size, specifications, and features. These incredible vessels were designated as Olympic-class liners, in honor of the first ship to be built. In the early 20th century, competition for weekly transatlantic passenger crossings was booming. With the launch of the RMS Olympic, White Star Line was doing their best to capture a market that demanded only the most spacious and luxurious way of getting across the ocean. The Olympic was a world first in luxury. It had exquisitely appointed rooms that had everything passengers could want. But for all the hype surrounding the construction and launch, Violet Jessup wasn't exactly looking forward to working on the new ship. White Star Line had a reputation for having the most difficult and challenging customers. That would mean very long days for the crew, especially for those in passenger services. Also, the North Atlantic wasn't known for its ideal weather, which meant everyone would be stuck inside during much of the journey. Despite having several reservations, Violet decided to go for it. Only six months after the ship's triumphant launch, the Olympic was already making its fifth westbound voyage. On September 20th, 1911, the ship departed from Southampton on its way to France. It had barely started the journey when, seemingly out of nowhere, the vessel collided with the British warship HMS Hawk. The hull of the Olympic was so badly damaged that the luxury cruise ship could no longer continue. There were two gaping holes that were quickly flooding two of the watertight compartments, leaving the ship with no option but to cancel the trip and return to Southampton for repairs. Adding to the humiliation of the incident, the Olympic was found to be fully responsible. White Star Line had to cover all the associated legal costs, as well as the repairs to the other ship. But there was a silver lining, because, as they say in marketing, any publicity is good publicity. Despite the serious nature of the collision, no one had died. So it became an excellent opportunity for White Star to promote the Olympics' safety features as second to none. 
The fact the Olympic had not sunk after being struck by the bow of a military vessel specifically designed to sink other ships was the sort of advertising money couldn't buy. White Star began describing the Olympic-class liners as unsinkable in its advertising. To give you some idea of the size of the propelling machinery of the White Star steamer Olympic, I might mention that this blade weighs 18 tons. There are two three-bladed propellers on the wing shafts that when assembled weigh 37 tons. We don't know much about Violet Jessup's experience of heading back to Southampton after the collision, as she never spoke publicly about it. The Olympic went on to be requisitioned by the British Navy for service during the First World War. It became the only passenger cruise liner in history to sink an enemy submarine, leading to the nickname Old Reliable. Following an impressive 24-year career at sea, the RMS Olympic was eventually retired from service in 1935 and sold for scrap. The Olympic is at Southampton, her decks empty, and for the last time the Blue Peter flutters from her masthead. The old White Star liner is sailing on her last voyage, en route for Jarrow and the shipbreakers, but there is no send-off. She had a wonderful war record, now her days are done, and away she goes, reliable to the last. Violet continued working for White Star after the collision, reluctant to quit her job. About seven months later, she took a stewardess job aboard the Olympic's sister ship, RMS Titanic. Her friends insisted working on the new ship would be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. On April 10, 1912, 25-year-old Violet, along with hundreds of other crew, reported for duty at the port of Southampton. Like many aboard the Titanic, Violet was amazed by the ship's grand design. It even included extremely comfortable staff quarters. In her memoirs, she wrote of speaking with Thomas Andrews, the ship's architect. Often during our rounds, we came upon our beloved designer, going about unobtrusively with a tired face, but a satisfied air. He never failed to stop for a cheerful word. The first few days of the voyage passed uneventfully enough. 
One of Violet's favorite things to do was go for an evening stroll on deck to get some fresh air before heading to bed. Just before midnight on April 14th, 1912, Violet was about to fall asleep when the unthinkable happened. The Titanic struck an iceberg. As I got in my stateroom, I switched on the electric light, and I noticed a slight jar, followed immediately by a second one, and a third one, which was quite strong enough to make me hold on to the bedpost. The boat came to a full stop. I walked forward to my window and saw a grayish-white mass drifting by. I said, what on earth is that? That? Well, that's an iceberg. <laughs> iceberg? I've always wanted to see one of those things since I was a child. Well, you're seeing a corker now. There's one-eighth above the water and seven-eighths below. And believe me, that's some iceberg. In her memoirs, she wrote, I was ordered up on deck. Calmly, passengers strolled about. I stood at the bulkhead with the other stewardesses, watching the women cling to their husbands before being put into the boats with their children. Eventually, Violet was ordered into a lifeboat herself. The crew needed to get shocked passengers off the stricken ship, and used her as an example of how safe the evacuation was. Before the lifeboat was lowered, however, Violet suddenly found herself babysitting. She wrote in her book that an officer called out, Here, Miss Jessup, Look after this baby, and a bundle was dropped on my lap. Like many other survivors, Violet watched in horror as the queen of the ocean began to sink further beneath the waves. It took only two hours and forty minutes after striking the iceberg for the Titanic to disappear, taking with it over 1,500 passengers and crew. Slowly she reared up on end, till at last, she was absolutely perpendicular. Then, quite quietly, but quicker and quicker, she seemed just to slide away under the surface and disappear. For hours, the lifeboats drifted aimlessly alongside debris and bodies. Dawn had broken by the time the first rescue vessel arrived. As Violet sat there, still clutching the baby she had been given hours earlier, a woman rushed up to her, snatched the baby from her arms, and ran off crying. Violet recalled the event in her memoirs. I was still clutching the baby against the life belt I was wearing when a woman leapt at me and grabbed the baby and rushed off with it. It appeared she put it down on the deck of the Titanic while she went to fetch something, and when she came back, the baby had gone. I was too frozen and numb to think it strange that this woman had not stopped to say thank you. Just like with the collision involving the Olympic less than a year earlier, the White Star Line went into serious damage control. Not only had there been a massive loss of life, but their supposedly unsinkable ship sank on its maiden voyage. 
The company started with an overhaul to the remaining sister ships, the Olympic and the Britannic. If they were going to survive after this disaster, they had to ensure both vessels were the safest passenger cruise liners in the world. First, they more than tripled the number of lifeboats on each ship. The height of the bulkhead was raised to 40 feet above the waterline. An additional watertight compartment was installed, and the boiler and engine rooms were updated to further reinforce the hull. Surviving her second disaster at sea, Violet Jessup decided to stay on land for a bit, taking a nursing post in the southeast of England. But with the start of World War I just a couple of years later, she returned to working at sea, this time for the British Red Cross. When the RMS Britannic was launched in 1914, a couple of years after the Titanic went down, it was hoped the curse of the Olympic-class liners would finally be lifted. Lavishly designed like its sister ships, but with state-of-the-art safety measures, the Britannic was hailed as the best of the best. The luxury cruise ship would have to wait before taking its first transatlantic passenger voyage, though. Along with other vessels, it was requisitioned by the British government and transformed into a hospital ship. This involved internal modifications, as well as a new paint job, along with a slight name change. It was renamed His Majesty's Hospital Ship Britannic, and was painted white with a green stripe and red crosses, as were all hospital ships during the war effort. It was tasked with transporting injured troops back to Britain from the battlefield. By late 1916, the ship had safely made five voyages to and from the Mediterranean. On the morning of November 21st, as Britannic made its way through the Aegean Sea, a sudden explosion caused the ship to shudder and shattered windows all along both sides of the ship. No one quite knew what the issue was at the time, but it was later discovered that Britannic had struck a German mine. Also, when it happened, no one knew the watertight doors of the front compartments were jammed open and water was pouring in. To avoid a full-scale evacuation, the captain pointed the Britannic toward land, intending to beach the vessel. Unlike the Titanic, thankfully the ship was in the Mediterranean, not the freezing North Atlantic Ocean. At least here, people could survive the water temperature for a while if needed. As the ship took on more water, it started listing to one side, while dipping forward as it continued to drift. Knowing what was coming next, Violet ran to her cabin to collect her few worldly possessions. Now a bit of a pro at surviving maritime disasters, she advised everyone who would listen to wear their life jackets underneath their coats instead of over the top. It was a lesson she had learned the hard way. You mustn't put it on over clothes. I mean, jackets in there. Right. Put it on near to your body as possible. As the ship continued to sink, some of the crew began lowering the lifeboats into the water before the evacuation order was given. Violet managed to get into one safely, but that didn't mean she was out of danger. Britannic had not come to a stop and continued drifting as it was sinking. To make matters worse, 
The massive propellers were still spinning dangerously close to the water level as the bow disappeared. The force of the suction created by the propellers pulled escaping lifeboats into the blades, slicing them into pieces. Violet recalled the grim sight. To my horror, I saw Britannic's huge propellers churning and mincing up everything near them. Men, boats, and everything were just one ghastly whirl. I turned to leap into the sea, but I hesitated. I forced myself into the water, then I was hit on the head repeatedly by something solid. It hit me three times, terrible blows that made my brain rattle. Barely conscious, Violet was sure her time had come until she felt someone grab her and pull her to the surface. But after taking a much-needed breath, her relief turned to horror when she saw the arm that touched her was attached to a severed torso. That's when she saw the severed head of a young man floating nearby, another victim of the giant propellers. Violet later credited her thick hair for playing a role in preventing her from blacking out after striking her head. I leapt into the water but was sucked under the ship's keel, which struck my head. Years later, when I went to my doctor because of a lot of headaches, he discovered I had sustained a fracture of the skull. And so, when I went into the water, I went down miles with the weight of, you know, clothes, and came up under the boat. And, to begin with, I got a terrible blow on the head, which you may think is the reason for the behaviour as I am today. As the ship drifted farther away, Violet was left dazed and floating in the blood-soaked water. By now, the propellers had stopped, and the ship was all but at a standstill. As she waited for rescue, Violet watched in disbelief as the Britannic sank. She wrote, The white pride of the ocean's medical world dipped her head a little, then a little lower, and still lower. All the deck machinery fell into the sea like a child's toy. Then she took a fearful plunge, her stern rearing hundreds of feet into the air, until, with a final roar, she disappeared into the depths. It had only been 55 minutes since the Britannic struck the mine. Unlike the massive loss of life on its sister ship, the Titanic, of the 1,055 people on board, incredibly, there were only 30 fatalities. Violet was soon pulled from the water and taken to a nearby island where she was treated by locals. She eventually rejoined other survivors aboard the flagship HMS Duncan, which took them to Greece until they could return home to England. No one would have blamed Violet Jessup for giving up her career on the water for good. After all, she had survived disasters aboard all three of the Olympic-class sister ships, including two of the most infamous sinkings in maritime history. But by the early 1920s, the 35-year-old was working on the high seas again, aboard White Star Line's RMS Majestic. She was joined by a steward named John Lewis, who coincidentally had also worked on board the Olympic. In October 1923, the two were married in a low-key ceremony held in London, Weeks later, the newlyweds were back on a cruise ship, but not for a honeymoon. Just two years later, however, Violet decided to take a break from life aboard a ship. By then, Violet and John's marriage had come to an end, 
As Violet later described it, the relationship was brief and disastrous. While her ex-husband stayed with White Star, Violet went to work for the Red Star Line. She eventually returned to Royal Mail, where it had all started years earlier. She continued to work until 1950, until retiring at the age of 61. Years later, Violet told her biographer about an unsettling phone call she received out of the blue. A woman asked if she had, by chance, been the one who rescued a baby during the Titanic disaster. The woman explained that, in fact, she was that baby. But curiously, before Violet could respond, the call ended and the mystery woman was never heard from again. The strange phone call had shaken her to the core because this particular detail had never been made public. In May 1971, the woman dubbed Miss Unsinkable passed away at the age of 83. Her memoirs, which were published 26 years later, contain even more stories of her incredible life at sea. The book also revealed one of the greatest ironies of all, that after spending decades working on the ocean and surviving multiple disasters, Violet Jessup never learned how to swim. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. God moves on the water April the 14th day Yes, God moves on the water Everybody had to run and pray Titanic left Southampton With all their sport and game But when they struck that iceberg I know True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by Gemma Harris. The executive producer is Jason Hope of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. 
Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening and for your amazing reviews and ratings. I'll be back next week with another episode. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen.